Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you. This is VOA News. Via remote, I'm Diane Roberts. Russian missiles have shattered weeks of relative calm in Ukraine's capital. AP correspondent Ben Thomas reports. Emergency workers battled flames and rescued civilians from apartment buildings in Kiev. Mayor Vitaly Klitschko says one person was killed, six injured. It's maybe symbolic, yeah, symbolic aggression. The attack came with Western leaders meeting in Europe, preparing to reaffirm their support for Ukraine and condemnation of Russia. President Biden speaking with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz at the start of the G7 meeting. We have to stay together. Yeah. Because Putin has been counting on from the beginning. And somehow NATO would, uh, and the G7 would splinter, and, but we have it, and we're not going to. Good messages that we all made it to stay united, which obviously we could never expect. I'm Ben Thomas. South African police are investigating the deaths of at least 21 people at a nightclub in the coastal town of East London Sunday. And authorities say most of the victims were minors as young as 13 years old. It is unclear what led to the deaths of the young people who were reportedly attending a party to celebrate the end of winter school exams. Local newspaper Daily Dispatch reported that bodies were strewn across tables and chairs without any visible sign of injuries. Part of the wooden stands have collapsed during a bullfight in central Colombia, sending spectators plunging to the ground and killing at least four people and seriously injuring 30. Authorities said the disaster took place in a stadium in Tolima State during a traditional event that features members of the public entering the ring to engage the bulls. Videos taken during the bullfight show a three-story section of the stands collapsing as people screamed. This is VOA News. A new report into sexual harassment and the assault of women working in Western Australia's mining industry finds systemic and horrific levels of abuse. Lawmakers are now calling for much-needed reforms to protect female employees in this multi-billion dollar resources sector. VOA's Phil Mercer reports from Sydney. After almost a year of investigations, an inquiry by state lawmakers has concluded Western Australia's multi-billion dollar mining sector failed to protect women from sexual predators. Its report said that victims had faced violence, stalking, grooming and threats to their jobs. Australian Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins said that immediate change was needed in the mining industry. Jenkins is one of seven commissioners at the Australian Human Rights Commission. She said the inquiry has highlighted the unacceptable treatment of women. The probe into allegations of abuse in the resources sector was ordered after several women detailed allegations to the police of sexual misconduct at major Western Australian mines. Lawmakers found that female workers at remote facilities frequently have to deal with sexual harassment and sexual assault. Many incidents were ignored by employers. BHP and Rio Tinto were among the companies to appear before the committee. The mining giant said during the inquiry they'd fired staff over assaults and misconduct. The companies said they'd boosted safety measures, including better security cameras, stricter limits on alcohol consumption and more thorough reporting procedures for complaints. Australia's federal government said it would examine whether concerns highlighted by the inquiry could be addressed at a national level. 
Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. The war in Ukraine could allow illegal drug production to flourish while the opium market's future hinges on the fate of crisis-wracked Afghanistan, the United Nations warned Monday. Previous experience from the Middle East and Southeast Asia suggests conflict zones can act as a magnet for making synthetic drugs, which can be manufactured anywhere, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime said in its annual report. Ukraine's capacity to produce synthetic drugs could grow as the war continues, it added. A long-delayed U.N. conference on how to restore the faltering health of global oceans kicks off in Lisbon Monday with thousands of policymakers, experts, and advocates on the case. Healthy oceans generate 50% of the oxygen we breathe and provide essential protein and nutrients to billions of people every day. And recapping our top story, Russian missiles have shattered weeks of relative calm in Ukraine's capital. Via remote, I'm Diane Roberts, VOA News. Today is Monday, June 27th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Russia strikes city of Kyiv as Western leaders reaffirm support for Ukraine. Very early in the morning at around 6.30 a.m., Kyiv citizens woke up with a flashback of 24th of February because they woke up with the sounds of explosions. President Biden and leaders of seven of the world's top economies to ban imports of gold from Russia. The moves, the latest in a series of sanctions that the Club of Democracies will hope isolate Russia economically over its invasion of Ukraine. And South African police investigated the deaths of at least 20 people at a nightclub in the coastal town of East London. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. Russia shattered weeks of relative calm in the Ukrainian capital with a missile attack. This as Western leaders met in Europe to reaffirm support for Ukraine and condemnation of Russia. Kiev's mayor says one person was killed and six injured. He speculated the airstrikes were, quote, maybe a symbolic attack, unquote, ahead of a NATO summit in Madrid that starts Tuesday. Reporter Anna Shenikova in Kiev give details of the missile's attack. Very early in the morning at around 6.30 a.m., Kyiv citizens woke up with a flashback of 24th of February because they woke up with the sounds of explosions. And unfortunately, some Kyiv citizens woke up with rockets hitting their building. So we know that at least six Russian missiles were fired from the territory of Russia, actually, because these rockets were fired from bombers 295 and 2160. So basically, Russian forces just used their airspace and they didn't cross Ukrainian airspace. We know that these rockets are quite innovative rockets, which are X-101, and they can fly to the distance of over 5,000 kilometers. At least six rockets were used targeting Kyiv residential building. Unfortunately, we know for the moment that one person died due to this attack. We know that this was a father of a little girl, age seven, who was rescued by Ukrainian rescue team, and her mother also was rescued. Ironically, the mother of this girl, she has Russian passport, and she was living in Kyiv for quite a long time, but Russian missile hit her here. For the moment, the rescue operation is still ongoing, and we don't know the final amount of casualties. We know that this was a nine-story building, and seven, eight, and nine floors were destroyed. 
That's reporter Anna Chernikova from Kyiv. Poles have generously welcomed refugees from the war in neighboring Ukraine in the past few months, but absorbing more than 3 million refugees is a big challenge for Poland, which has a population of about 38 million. As Greg Flekos reports from Warsaw, other European nations are providing help, but the burden could become untenable for Poles if the war continues much longer. Poland has taken in more than half of the Ukrainians who fled their country in recent months, and Poles have opened their homes to the mostly women and children who have come to them. According to Agnieszka Kosowicz, president of the non-profit Polish Migration Forum. Overwhelming majority of Poles not only are assisting migrants or helping migrants or declaring pro-migrant sympathies, but just directly involve and host refugees in their homes. All over Poland, there are Ukrainian flags and other signs of solidarity. In this park in Warsaw, flowers represent the yellow and blue Ukrainian flag. But Kosovic says such enthusiasm is bound to diminish. Maybe flowers are a good example because they die. <laughs> she says enthusiasm may wane as the burden grows on Poland's schools, hospitals, and more. We expect that it will slow down because um, there is something like uh, compassion fatigue. And uh, basically it's difficult to, to maintain this high level of involvement and support for long uh, t term. As Ukrainians take jobs in Poland, tensions may also unfold over the labor market. It's a concern for residents like Sonia, who did not provide a surname when she spoke with VOA near a refugee center in Krakow. The Polish people don't have work. Because the Ukraine the, go. Oh, because the, the Ukrainians take the job? Well, yeah, yeah. Official low unemployment figures contradict that sentiment, even though in the past three months around 100,000 Ukrainian refugee women have found jobs here. But when the war started, an estimated 800,000 jobs, mostly in construction, were left vacant when Ukrainian men returned home to fight the Russian invaders. While most Ukrainian refugees here want to go back home, Agnieszka Kosovic says many of them may not have that option. I think that right now we know that there will be people who will not be going back, even if the war finishes tomorrow, uh, because they have nothing to go back to. Recalling the painful history of what both Ukraine and Poland experienced in World War II and under Soviet domination, Kosovic says people from both nations yearn for hostilities to stop. But there's still no end in sight. Greg Flakus for VOA News, Warsaw. Ukraine's foreign minister says Kyiv is ready to export much-needed grain to Africa as soon as Russia lifts its Black Sea and blockade. In a U.S.-arranged online briefing to journalists, he blamed Russia for the global food crisis affecting millions of Africans and called for more African support against Moscow. Mohamed Yusuf reports for VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dimitri Kuleba said this country and Africa need each other to overcome the global food crisis, which he blamed on Russia's aggression. We want to export our agricultural products to you as badly as you want to receive them. And there is only one reason why those 
ends of this supply chain, which is us and you, cannot benefit from these exports. It's the Russian blockade of Ukrainian ports as a result of the Russian military aggression against Ukraine. Ukraine is a major supplier of wheat, corn and sunflower oil to African countries and since Russia's invasion began in February, Africa has faced food and cooking oil shortages that have left an estimated 400 million people on the continent food insecure. While drought and conflict have also played a role in the food crisis, Kuleba focused on the actions of Russia. He said Russian forces have taken 400,000 tons of grain crops from Ukraine. Russians also steal agricultural equipment from Ukrainian farmers. Tractors, combine harvesters and other tools in Donetsk, Kherson, Kharkiv and Sumy regions of Ukraine. Russian forces have riddled Ukrainian fields with mines to prevent farmers from cultivating their crops for years. According to the recent preliminary estimates, about 13% of Ukrainian territory has been contaminated by Russian mines and other explosive remnants. This creates threats of a multi-year global food crisis. Fred Munene is an agronomist and farmer in Kenya. He says Africa, for now, shall fight to get the food stock in Ukraine out and invest in its farm to be food secure. We need, if possible, to get away or now we are going to solve the problem on short term and also on long term. Short term is getting the food that is already produced and this is only available in those two countries. Long term, look for other suppliers also or construct industries in Africa who will be supplying the fertilizers and, the, and other farm inputs because that is the biggest challenge. Kuleba says Africa can play a role in ending the conflict between the two neighbors. African states have a crucial role in this and many already work together with us to achieve it. African capitals matter and they do influence Russia's position. However, African countries and the UN Security Council have been reluctant to pressure Russia based on historical ties to Moscow and current geopolitical concerns. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. The United States aimed to raise $200 billion in private and public funds over five years to help worldwide development. U.S. President Joe Biden said at a G7 meeting on Sunday that the money would support needed infrastructure in developing countries on the G7 initiative aimed at countering China's multi-trillion dollar belt and road project. Biden unveiled the plans flanked by the group of seven leaders, some of whom have already unveiled their own separate initiatives at their annual gathering being held this year in southern Germany. Biden says the U.S. and other groups of seven leading economies will ban imports of gold from Russia. Associated Press correspondent Charles de la Desma reports. The move is the latest in a series of sanctions that the Club of Democracies will hope isolate Russia economically over its invasion of Ukraine. A formal announcement is expected on Tuesday as the leaders meet for their annual summit. Biden and his counterparts will huddle on the summit's opening day to discuss how to secure energy supplies and tackle inflation, aiming to keep the fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine from splintering the global coalition working to punish Moscow. I'm Charles Duladesma. The UN Children's Fund is warning that millions of children are at high risk from devastating floods in Bangladesh and are in urgent need of life-saving assistance. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Dozens of people have been killed and hundreds of thousands left stranded as whole villages have been washed away in the worst flooding to hit Bangladesh in a century. 
UNICEF says the situation caused by flash floods has deteriorated rapidly over the last week, and so has that of the children. UNICEF representative to Bangladesh, Sheldon Yet, says three and a half million children are in urgent need of safe drinking water. That's a staggering number of children and an increase over the last couple of days. Huge areas are completely underwater and are disconnected from safe drinking water and food supplies. Preventing waterborne diseases is a critical concern. Children are at high risk in this desperate situation. Cases of diarrhea and other deadly diseases are rising. He says some 2,700 cases have been recorded this week. Speaking in the capital, Dakar, the UNICEF official says tens of thousands of water points and toilets have been damaged. He warns waterborne diseases will spread quickly as people are forced to drink contaminated water. Yet says 90% of health facilities have been flooded, interrupting immunization and other vital services. He notes an estimated 2,000 children were suffering from a severe acute malnutrition before the floods hit. He says life-saving treatment for the condition also has been disrupted. The risk of drowning is very high. At least 15 children have tragically lost their lives. Nearly half a million people have been evacuated into crowded evacuation centers. And I'm particularly concerned for children who have been separated from their family. Children and their families need help now. Yet says UNICEF and partners have been working against time to support the government. He says they have managed to deliver 1,750,000 water purification tablets, thousands of hygiene kits for women and adolescent girls, and thousands of other crucial supplies. He says UNICEF urgently needs $2.5 million to pay for its emergency response. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. In superhero blockbuster Aquaman, popular Hollywood actor Jason Momoa plays the role of a protector of the deep. But with the world's oceans under threat in real life, he's also taking the fight off screen. At an event on a Portuguese beach ahead of the United Nations Ocean Conference in Lisbon, which starts on Monday, he said, quote, Without a healthy ocean life, our planet as we know would not exist, unquote. Around 7,000 people from heads of state to environmental activists are expected to attend a conference which was postponed from 2020 to this year due to the coronavirus pandemic. Aloha, my company. It is one of my greatest honors to receive the nature of the from the U.N. Secretary General Special Envoy of the Ocean. I understand that nature baton has made its way around the world, and it will continue to do so as an enduring symbol to leaders. The time now is to act now. Our ocean is in trouble. If we combine ambition, dedication, hope, we can change these outcomes. With great respect and admiration and humility, I join the UN family. Thank you very much. Uh, and commit to the critically important work to manage, protect, and preserve the ocean and all living creatures. Like our planet's perfectly honed ecosystem, our ambitions across all sustainable development goals must be interconnected and inseparable from what we must seek to right the wrongs we have done. That's popular Hollywood actor Jason Momoa. In other news, South African police are investigating deaths of at least 
200 people, the young people were reportedly attending a party to celebrate the end of winter school exams. The local newspaper Daily Dispatch reported that bodies were strewn across tables and chairs without any visible signs of injuries. Officials say autopsies will be carried out as soon as possible. The owner of the club told local broadcaster ENCA that he heard the venue was so full and that some people had tried to force their way inside. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedwafo in Washington. At least 1,000 people were killed and more than 1,600 others injured after a 5.9 magnitude earthquake struck a remote and mountainous region of southeastern Afghanistan near the border with Pakistan. Tremors were felt in Pakistan. VOA reporter Ayaz Gol in Islamabad tells VOA's Carol Van Dam search and rescue efforts have been hampered by heavy rain. It's a remote area, very close to the border with Pakistan, and it's a poverty-stricken region, both the provinces, the worst hit provinces of Paktika and Khos of Afghanistan. So, you know, this country has been plagued by war for decades. So the infrastructure, even in major urban centers, is not as good as it should be not to speak of these border provinces. So obviously, we will know maybe by tomorrow morning the exact extent of the damage that has been caused by this earthquake. You mentioned it's very remote there, very mountainous too. What's going on in terms of search and rescue? No, what we know from this side of the border, the Pakistani military and Pakistani civilian authorities have been trying to take in assistance because these are the areas right on the border with Pakistan. So Pakistani government quickly arranged some kind of relief packages, loading them on the trucks. And we also know that the efforts were underway. Rescue operation had not been stopped. It was continuing because there are fears that so many people have been buried under the rubble. You know, these we have seen videos, houses have been flattened. You know, in fact, one entire village was destroyed by the earthquakes. The area had been a heavy area of fighting before, during, and after the Taliban took charge. So how has that affected the search and rescue operations? Plus, how is the weather coloring what's going on there? When the earthquake hit, weather was really bad. Unusually, it was raining in that area, which is usually very hot during summer, especially in June, in the month of June. But it was raining there, strong wind, and which prevented rescue teams from reaching the scene after the earthquake hit these two provinces of Afghanistan. That's why the first confirmed reports we received like 10 hours after the earthquake had caused the damage. And it shows that things were difficult and they're still difficult to be ascertained. But this area where the earthquake struck actually has been a traditional Taliban stronghold. It's a Pashtun-dominated area and Taliban and especially the Haqqani network, which also fought together with the Taliban against the American and international forces over the last 20 years. This is their stronghold and this is where they really received support from the population. So that's why they were able to bring in some assistance and launch rescue operations on their own. But again, as I said, they really lack equipment. They do not have enough helicopters. They do not have ambulances. That's VOA's Ayaz Girl speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam from Islamabad, Pakistan. Internally displaced persons in northern Ethiopia's far region have been leaving some camps due to lack of food and shelter. The UN has warned that returning home may not prove any better and are calling for more international support. Halima Tumani reports from Samara, Ethiopia. 
Afar region officials say this camp in Dukti, northern Ethiopia, houses about 30,000 internally displaced persons. Many were forced to flee fighting between Tigray regional forces and federal troops and their allies. Others fled a record drought that has killed millions of livestock and left millions of Ethiopians facing hunger. Myra Muhammad is a mother of three who in January walked for days and 400 kilometers to reach the camp only to find it overcrowded and without enough food or shelter. I don't know what's better for us because even if I return home, no one will support me. We don't get sufficient support here. I don't know what's better for us. I feel more stressed and I'm more worried about returning. Myra is not alone. In June alone, Afar disaster officials say at least 8,000 internally displaced persons, IDPs, returned home because of shortages and the closure of one camp. The UN's refugee agency says since March, 12,000 IDPs in the region returned home. Russia's war on Ukraine has taken global attention and driven up the cost of food aid. The UN's Humanitarian Affairs Office in Ethiopia says they need $3 billion to meet IDP needs and those who return home may be worse off. Meanwhile, IDPs in the camps wait in the scorching heat for help, rationed fast to the most vulnerable. Mother of six, Asia Hussein, is among the lucky ones getting food today. I have six children, and to be honest, this food is not enough, but what shall we do? Ethiopians displaced by war and drought with no good options. Halima Athmani, VA News, Samara, Ethiopia. Hey there, it's Shauna Renee, also known as the Lady DJ, inviting you to join me every Thursday at 10 and 2200 UTC for today's hit countdown. Each week I count down the top 20 songs in pop music according to Billboard and Rolling Stone magazines, but more importantly, according to you, the VOA listeners. Again, that's Thursdays at 10 and 2200 UTC right here on VOA1. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, Thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Gene Adolfo in Washington. Have a wonderful day. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The right to freedom of expression, including freedom of the press, faces profound challenges in our own hemisphere and around the world, declared Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the Media Summit of Americas in Los Angeles. 
He highlighted three common challenges in media and what the United States is doing to tackle them. In order to combat disinformation, the State Department has launched the first hub of the Digital Communication Network of the Americas, a network of journalists, civil society, and government officials who collectively can address and counter state-sponsored propaganda. They will also address journalist safety. Another challenge is the ongoing threats, harassment, and violence faced by members of the press across a hemisphere, said Secretary Blinken. At least 17 journalists have been killed in this hemisphere in this year, according to the UNESCO Observatory of Killed Journalists, including most recently Yesenia Molinedo and Sheila Johanna Garcia, the director, and a reporter of the news website El Varaz in Veracruz, Mexico, shot to death on May the 9th. No region in the world is more dangerous for journalists. Governments are using legislation to quash free expression, as seen in the recent slate of restrictions adopted by El Salvador in the spring. In Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, the simple act of carrying out investigative journalism is a crime. In response, the United States is working across the region to strengthen the rule of law and train judges and prosecutors to investigate and prosecute such attacks. USAID will provide up to $9 million to support a global defamation defense fund for journalists, which will offer liability coverage for reporters and news organizations targeted with unjust litigation. And the State Department is investing up to $3.5 million to launch a journalism protection platform that will protect and train journalists under threat. Third, the U.S. is working to make independent media more sustainable, said Secretary Blinken. We've committed $30 million to the International Fund for Public Interest Media, which will focus on assisting media and resource poor and unstable settings, and $5 million to improve the financial viability of independent media outlets. A free, independent press across the Western Hemisphere is more important now than ever, said Secretary Blinken, for the well-being of our people, for the well-being of our communities, and for the well-being of our democracies. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.